Welcome to the commute home. This is Derek, and this is part two of Derek Joins a Band. That's right. Get to know me. We're getting to know me just a little bit better. So in part one, we talked about my early life, how I kind of got into music, my first instrument, my first influences, and kind of the whole learning how to play bass guitar thing is what we covered in part one. Part one takes us up into about my sophomore year of high school. Now it's the sophomore year of high school, and this is the episode where things start going, where I start doing bands, I start having kind of stories and uh, a lot more to think about and talk about. So this, let's get back to the action, and this is part two of Derek Joins a Band. It's the commute home with Nick and Derek. This is Nick. From Chicago's northwest suburbs, our hosts chat about, well, you know, whatever two middle-aged men like to talk about. Talk about some movies. The workday is done. Time to grit your teeth, get through the traffic, and make the commute home. Hey, don't honk at me. All right, so it is my sophomore year, and finally, finally, I, I, I get the opportunity to join a band and play on a stage in front of people. And, and this band is, which, the, what's the name of this band again, Derek? So every year, my high school does an annual talent show at, at the, like the end of the school year. So sophomore year, uh, some people that I know, they decide that, that you know, they're Primus fans. They know I'm a Primus fan. So they want to go through and they want to do a Primus song together. And we name it after a Primus song, and the name of the band was Mr. Crinkle. Mr. Crinkle. Very nice, sir. So we go through, and you know, and we're, we're a power trio, so there's three people on stage, one guy singing, playing guitar, one guy on drums, and then me on bass. And we're doing this bizarre, bizarre, bizarre Primus song called Too Many Puppies. It's, you know, like all songs Primus, it's out there. We get we get approval to do the song. We uh, do the rehearsals and all that, and then finally, I get the first chance ever to play in front of people. Oh, and on top of this, the decision was made that since we were a trio, we needed to put on a show. So Les Claypool, uh, the bass player for Primus, he has all these moves that he does on stage. He kind of like bounces his left leg sometimes when he's playing a song. Sometimes he spins around. He has these moves that he does. And it was decided that I would do these same moves when we were on stage. And I'm just kind of like, uh, uh, okay, okay, guys. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. You know, and so let me tell you about stage fright. Because, <laughs> oh, my God, the stage fright that I, I felt was so bad, that first performance. So, so you said this is show at the end of the year, and it's two nights, right? Yeah, it's a it's a Friday night and Saturday night. So we, we do one, the same song just each night. Okay, okay. And you drew the short end of the straw, so you had to be the dancing monkey to go along with, uh, you know, the song. Yep, yep. This is your first time up on stage, so I mean, naturally, this stage fright has to come in. How bad did it get? You know, it's like like we're standing there, and we got a couple seconds before we're supposed to go on, and I'm like, oh my god, I just I had to go to the bathroom so bad. It was like this fear bladder thing I had going on where like instantly I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And I kind of whispered it to my drummer. He's just like, well, I think you're holding it because you don't have time to go to the bathroom. I'm like, can, can, we, can we just put the show on hold so I can run to the bathroom? He's like, no, that's not how it works. Just <laughs> petrified. Petrified. You couldn't call time out. I could not call time out. The show had to go on because the show <laughs> nice. must go on. 
<laughs> and there was no like Gatorade bottle over in the corner or anything like that. I didn't even have that much time because it was literally like we had like 30 seconds before we were starting up or whatever. So, so you know, we go through, I get on stage and I'm, you know, the song starts up, it starts with drums and then the bass comes in and I'm standing there just, just freaked out. But I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm looking around, you know, at the crowd, big crowd, really big crowd. This, this is in my high school gymnasium. Uh, and so we're actually up on a pretty big stage with a big crowd. I'm like, oh, Jesus. But then, like, I'm looking around, and I see, like, one girl fr- that I've gone to school with forever, you know, always, you know, friendly with each other, nice girl, small, you know, smaller school. She's sitting in the front row, kind of, like, bobbing her head with the drums and smiling. And I'm like, oh. Like, instantly relaxed me. And, um, and I, so, like, that entire, like, first performance, I'm just kind of, like, looking over in her direction. Because she keeps on smiling and nodding, nodding her head. And it, like, keeps me, like, relaxed. And we actually put on a really good show that first night. Too many puppies. I'm being shot in the dark. Too many puppies. I said not to bark the same. That must be stood to women. Yeah, we, we got through it. We, we did we did the two performances. They both went pretty good. And uh, I had finally gotten to be in a band and performed on stage. And I will say to this to this day, probably the best high I've ever felt in my entire life. That's excellent. I was going to ask you, like, so <laughs> they say there's nothing like the first time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and many things in life. Mm-hmm. So uh, this experience, because you've played in some... Some 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 decent places and stuff like that over time, and you think that like that first time though was kind of that set the bar really high for you. So yeah, playing live is like a drug. I mean, it's like a huge like uh, adrenaline surge. It's a huge dopamine surge. It really is like a drug, and probably like the first time probably is the best time. Like a lot of like a lot of other drugs are for people, but all the other times, you know, people are that I have known get addicted to playing live. And they want to play live as as much as possible, as often as possible. That's why the cover band thing is so popular. Interesting. So, so you think like the cover band thing? Part of that is like not necessarily. Well, I mean, I guess part of it has to be love for those bands, but also it's just the fact that people want to be in front of people playing live. Yes. Yeah, I, I've definitely known people that, you know, they do a show and, and by the end of the night, they make 20 bucks, they make 50 bucks, something like that, if if they're lucky, but they love playing live. You know, for some guys, it's because of the chicks, you know, they, they love the chicks. Um, but uh, yeah, but no, mostly it's because of that feeling of being on li- being uh, playing live. It, it's uh, it is like a drug for people. You just brought up something that has um, kind of always interested me. Because you've played in bands where all you've done, I don't want to say all you've done, but you've done cover music. But you've also played in bands where you guys wrote your own stuff. What yeah. do you think is like, what, what is your opinion in regards to how that feels? Like playing a song live that somebody else recorded initially and then some people hear it and they're like, hey, I know this tune and they're like jamming along with it or whatever. Or like somebody here's your original stuff and starts jamming along to it. Like what is better in your opinion? Uh, or what do you think gets the better reaction from the crowd? 
uh, uh, playing covers big time. Uh, okay. Playing your original music, it's an up, uphill battle because mm. it's kind of like you, you introduce this brand new thing that they've never heard before. So they're listening to it and they're trying to decide while, while they listen to it if they like it or not. Instead, people want it. What people really want to hear, especially like in the local bar area or what people are expecting in the Midwest a lot of the times, is just being able to like go to a bar and hearing songs that they love and singing along with the song that they love. Um, so in terms of like crowd reaction, being a cover band is way easier than be- being in an original band. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. You know, and, and so whenever I'm in a band that's where I'm writing original music, I'm doing that more for myself than I am for the crowd, to be honest, because, you know, I want to write songs. I like writing songs. That part of it is really important to me. Uh, the creation is, is something I really enjoy doing. While the crowd, eh, not so much most of the time. Hmm. Do you feel most songwriters that you've come in contact with feel the same way? It's just fact. It's just fact. I, I mean, I mean, so like when, when you go to like, like the local festivals and the 4th of July um, carnivals and all that, the bands that they bring in for those are the highest paid local bands in the area, period. Those are the guys that are making the most money. Okay. Those are, those are 99% all cover bands. They're either cover bands or they're bands that were, that were huge back in the 80s or whatever, which kind of makes them almost cover bands of themselves. Well, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. In terms of like new original music, you don't get big shows. You don't get a lot of turnouts. You don't get big gigs. Uh, you, you know, you think of like the last big bands that came from this area. I can't even name them, to be honest. What, Local H, maybe? So that-, so that brings up a good point uh, again, because like when I've been to concerts before, it always seems like whoever's performing like the set is almost always their greatest hits with just a couple new songs added in. If it's an established artist. Yeah. That really depends on, on the artist and the show and what point they're, they're at in their career, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very rarely do, do you see like a, like a, like a band that let's say they're doing their third or fourth album, you know, when they go on tour, they're not playing just the songs off that third or fourth album. They're probably playing three or four songs off each album is usually kind of the average. Okay. But yeah, but yeah, you're, you're right. It is, it is their, their greatest hits over and over and over. So, so you go from Friday night, which is like the highest of high after you have like this initial bout with, with stage fright, the, the girl on the front row who I don't want to confuse with, she was giving you googly eyes. She was just jamming to the music and it made you feel comfortable. Uh, yep. So how was the second night, though? Second night, it's one of those things where you're on stage and it just didn't feel right. Uh, I can't say what we did wrong or what went wrong. It just didn't feel right. And like we had such high standards for ourselves and our first night went so well. That second night, we were just like, yeah, uh, all said and done. The crowd reaction was, was fine the second night as well. But on stage, we were kind of being harder on, our, on ourselves. So all in all, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah. So how long did this band last? Was it like you guys walked off stage that second night and the lead singer is like, I think I'm going to start my own, a new thing? Or did it last for a little bit? That was it. it we, we put it together just for, the, for just for nightclub. Our drummer was a senior, so he was going off to college in a few months, so we knew that he'd be gone soon. 
and uh, the, the guy that played that sang and played guitar, he and I didn't really click that great. We we're just two different worlds, two different mindsets, two different kinds of music. So okay. we neither of us were interested, I think, in doing any more music together. But uh, it was still a really good first experience. That's amazing. Like, did you, by chance, did you ever see these guys later on in life and almost reminisce, if you will, or was that just the end of the road for it completely? That was really just the end of the road. You know, for me, those guys were more established musicians. Like, they were part of the band in the school. Uh, you know, like, the one guy, he, he worked at the local, local music shop. For me, that was, like, my first gig. For them, that was just another gig. So uh, probably way more special for me than it was for them. Got it, got it, got it. Very interesting dynamic. Okay, so that's the end of your sophomore year. How does the rest of high school go for you? Rest of high school, so at this time I'm working at McDonald's, and I'm making that McDonald's money. Let it rain McDonald's money. That's right. Back in my day, minimum wage was four twenty-five an hour. Woo! So pumping out that four twenty-five an hour, I eventually climbed up the, the ladder at McDonald's and got up to all, all the way up to five fifteen an hour. You know, uh, so yeah. I was, but I, I but I, I was uh, working at McDonald's, and my money was going towards music gear. So after that show, um, you know, money, 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 money. I was spending all my money on music gear mostly. Eh, you know, I was still saving up for rainy days, but I bought a lot of gear. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about, like, like how, how big did I want to go with speakers and amplifiers and all that? How loud did I want to be? And I was kind of contemplating, like, what I wanted to do. And I remember my dad giving me the advice. He's like, well, you could buy something now, and then you can buy something bigger later, and then you can buy something bigger later as you keep on playing more and more and more. Or you can just buy the biggest, baddest thing right now that you could play small clubs to arenas with. And in the long run, you'll save money. And I'm like, oh, he's got a point. So like the base, the base gear that I was buying back then, I'm still using a big chunk of it today. Interesting. So like, when you're talking about how how loud and everything it is, and like how loud do you want to go? I mean, that's it seems like good advice because it's something to your point that you've been able to keep forever. And, and and it kind of reminds me of um, that movie, The Italian Job, when um, I can't remember. Seth Green's character was like, I want it so loud, it's going to blow the clothes off a wig. <laughs> yeah. My my bass rig that I got that I got as as a as a high school kid was so loud that it shook entire homes, that shook foundations. That's what I'm talking about. I I would go to people's rehearsal spots in their basements, and I would shake pictures off the walls upstairs and and in their third story. And their mom is like, "Quiet down, down there, boy." Nasty looks, <laughs> remarks like, "Can't you turn it down?" I'm like, "No, I have to hear myself." It's rock and roll. And, 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 well, it's, you know, that's the thing. I mean, drummers, you know, the drums kind of set the volume for a band because they're, they're such a loud acoustic instrument. And then the, and the guitars come in and, you know, I've always played play like in, you know, rock and heavy metal bands. So these guys are, are you know, running at least half stacks, uh, which, so that's like one cabinet with four 12 inch speakers and then a, and then a, a head over it or a, an amplifier for it. We're loud, you know, and you, you kind of got to play loud to get that sound out of the guitar. And then me, you know, the bass, when you're playing bass, a lot of times you feel the bass more than you can hear it. Even when I'm on stage, standing right in front of my amplifier, a lot of times I can't really hear the notes that I'm playing. I can just feel them. And it's like the only time I, I, I can hear the notes that I'm playing is when I play a wrong note. 
So it's almost like 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 okay, like you know, because I match because you know during this time, like the the bass guitar, you know, was basically playing the same things as a as a guitar in most songs. So it's kind of like I would hear the notes from the guitar, but I would feel the notes from the bass, and that always worked. But then like yeah, you'd hear that you play that one wrong note, and then like oh that's wrong. Then I could clearly hear myself. So it's kind of like all right, just trust that and sounds coming out that's correct, and just deal with it. I got. I gotta ask you. Um, when when you're doing something like that and you're playing, right? And let's say you're live and you're in front of an audience and you know you mess up. Do you like? Do you get to the point? And was it always this way where you just keep going so that the the audience doesn't know you messed up, or do you like have that like hiccup to where you almost pause? And then you have to reset yourself. You kind of learn that in practice and in rehearsals is you, you kind of practice the art of making a mistake and keeping going. Okay. Um, yeah, you try to, you know, mistakes happen all the time on stage. And just you just try to you know, get in the right mindset that when you make the mistake, you just keep going like it didn't happen. And try to spend as small amount of time as kind of being in that gray area that you're not sure what to do next. Got it, got it. And then before before we move on, like you're talking about like all these 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 speakers and these twelve inches and these amplifiers and everything like that. And when when I was in high school, like that was a car stereo to me. You know, I got two twelves in the back, or I got two fifteens in the back. Like I traded, I had two fifteens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Subs. Yeah. And, and so I got two fifteens in the back, and I traded. My two fifteens for uh, uh, my now wife to get a tattoo, believe it or not. So, like, what is you know so much about music? What is your car stereo like at this time? <laughs> oh yeah. So my my first car was an eighty seven Ford Escort hatchback. Nice. Yeah. So so uh, so that one, my dad helped me put put in the system in there. You know, and that was like six by nines on the doors. I think we did like five and a quarters in the back, and then uh, it was a ten-inch Pioneer sub that was running off of uh, like a three hundred watt power amp. Was my first uh, <laughs> first uh, speaker system with a Jensen CD player head unit. This is back when like when CD players, whenever you hit a bump, the whole thing stopped working. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yep. So, so I, I did that. Unfortunately, we lost that car in a car accident. It was my mom was driving, and she was in the middle of like a nine car pile up. So that that thing oh, had man. to go to the go to the junkyard. Uh, after that, that my my next car that I had full time was an eighty three uh, Dodge Ram Custom one fifty uh, pickup truck. And that thing, oh my god! So that thing came with just a um, just one speaker, like on the uh, on the front dashboard, and that was it. So I went in there and I drilled holes in the doors and I installed, uh, I think I did five by sevens on the doors. I took that center hole speaker and I, I, I installed two four inch speakers up there. I put a 10 inch Fosgate sub behind, uh, be, behind the, be, behind, uh, the seat. And this, this is not extended cab. This is just a cab. Oh my, so you felt every bit of it. It was the sound pressure level in that truck was incredible. You know, I just a blaring loud head unit, power amps in there, and like, and uh, like I had that truck when I was going to uh, community college, and uh, it was like a half an hour car ride to go to go to school every every day. I'd go, I'd go there with my buddy, 
And after the, like every 30-minute ride, our ears will be ringing because we both love listening to our music so loud in that thing. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. See, I knew that you, I knew you weren't going to come and say to me, like, uh, my first car, which was an 88 Chevy Sprint hatchback uh, that I had uh, literally a boombox sitting in the back seat. And that's the radio that I had. <laughs> so... I knew I knew you had a good stereo going uh, based on you know your extensive equipment knowledge. Yeah, and and also it's kind of a mindset that music sounds best when it's loud. You know, it's music's designed when it's recorded and and mixed and mastered and like that. It's meant to be played loud. Period. And if you're not listening to music loud, I would argue you're not listening to it correctly. That's an interesting point. I think some old people would disagree with you, but it's an interesting point. No, I totally agree. And, and you know, I've sacrificed because of it. You know, my hearing loss is, uh, it's been I, substantial. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, luckily I, I'm still okay to pass hearing tests, but I've, I've lost a lot over the years. Yeah. Very interesting. So I, sorry, I had to go down that, that little brief uh, discord there, but one of the, wanted to ask you about that so um yeah so you're your junior and, and senior year you're you're making the mcdonald's money you're making it rain and you're just buying equipment now you're using this equipment you're just not like collecting equipment this is actual for use right you know i'm still kind of messing around and uh i'm trying to do these jam sessions they're going a little bit better than they were when i was younger but uh, not, it's not really going anywhere. So, yeah, it, you know, so I'm playing a six-string fretless bass, and I'm trying to learn how to play it because going from four strings to six strings is tough. Going from fret, fretted to fretless is tough. And at the same time, I'm trying to play Primus and all this stuff. I only played with a pick before. I refused to learn how to play with my fingers, like from my jazz band teacher. I refused, I refused how to learn how to slap and pop because I didn't want to play disco. But now... To play all this primitive stuff, I have to learn how to play with my fingers, and I have to learn how to slap and pop. So I'm like, ugh. So I'm kind of like starting over with learning the instrument all, all over again. But it's going okay, and I'm really into it. Did you go back to the jazz teacher and say, uh, you know, I was wrong, show me your ways? <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> By that time, I was just guerrilla style doing it all on my own. Nice. All right. Good to go. <laughs> So, so we're doing that. And finally, you know, finally there were these, these kids that were a couple years younger than me. Uh, this is my senior year. I've always heard about them. I got to see them play once. There were these kids in like this, like hard rock, heavy metal band that were actually really, really good. They were really good. Uh, they lost their bass player. So they asked me to come in and play bass for them. And then finally my senior year of high school, I got into my first real full-time band. And and when you say first real full time band, that means like rehearsals and shows and consistency, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like our very first show that we did was a nineteen band battle of the bands. Uh, wow. It was a two day. It was a two day event. It was at the uh, Poplar Creek Sports Center. That's just right on on, on the outside of Barrington, right by ninety and uh, fifty nine. Um, I don't think it's there anymore. But, um, yeah, that was our first show, and we won this 19-band Battle of the Bands. Now, you said that that first, uh, first trip, that, I mean, that, that first time on stage was, like, your high of all highs. But, like, I got to imagine winning, like, a 
band competition was it's got to be up there right you know, I remember, like, you know, we went, we we, we brought a, f- a fair amount of people to come watch us. There was a fair amount of people at the show as, as well. We went on to, like, a real stage with a real PA system. We did our thing, and we just, we just, we did it right. Like, the set went exactly the way I thought it would, would be, it would go. It was, like, a 30-minute set, 20 or 30 minutes. And, uh, yeah, it just, you know, we got cheers at the end of like each song. Yeah, it just felt good. And then we won it. I'm like, I remember thinking, wow, my first live show, and we won this huge battle of the bands. It's all going downhill from here on end. Did you say it goes all downhill from there? Oh, absolutely. You win this huge battle of the bands as for your first show ever? Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. So expectations after that, do they go through the roof? Or is it kind of just like... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is it like your own expectations or do you think it's other people's expectations or other people in the band? Or When you say it goes downhill, I mean, yeah, that's an amazing place to start, but potentially the other things could happen. But is like, do you find your mind saying, well, we got to do this so we can do this? Or is it more of enjoying the moment and then the moment's gone? I don't know. It, 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 so it was more like like, like part of it, like we, we won this battle of the band. So we won, we won like free studio time. We won a photo shoot. We won all the stuff. So we wanted to get polished up and get ready for that. But uh, the more important thing was we want to start playing more shows. And that's the hard part is being kids trying to play shows at, at that time. So like we, we were able to play the Carrie Days Festival once. That's like the like the 4th of July fair that, that uh, Carrie had every year. Um. And then, luckily, there was a local nightclub that uh, it used to be a pool hall, and then they changed it to like a, a dance club, and then they changed it to like a venue for live bands, and that was like on the outskirts of Crystal Lake. And so, luckily, they asked us to start playing there, and that was kind of our place that we played. And we played there like eh, I think like once a month there for a, for, uh, uh, for you know for a while actually. So that makes sense to me then is when you say it's hard to play gigs, I would imagine that has to do with the fact, like you said, because of your age, you can't just, you can't go to bars, right? So you're limited in the places you can go. We're limited. We're in the places we can go. We're a heavy metal band, which is hard. We do a lot of original music, which is hard. So it's just hard to get booked and and try and try to, um, uh, get into places. And then now we try to network at that show, that battle of the bands that we did. And a couple of the headliners that they had for that show, they asked us to open for them at different, at these different shows. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh yeah, we'll open for you. Uh, how's the pay? And they're like, pay. I'm like, yeah, how much are you going to pay us? They're like, Oh, you would do it for free. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing it for free. You got to pay us guys. And, uh, <laughs> trying to get a pain show man <laughs> especially when, when you're like doing a heavy metal or doing original music yeah you you pay to go on stage most of the time wow yeah i mean so i mean that's the thing i mean first of all when you lug all that music gear to like a venue you spend a lot of money on gas a ton of money on gas mm-hmm. uh, on, on top of that like guitar players they have to change their strings almost every show uh, that's five to ten dollars, depending on what kind of strings the guitar player uses. Bass players, I had problems where I would break strings live at that time, so I had to change my bass strings every show. That was twenty to twenty-five dollars. Ouch! 
drummers, they usually shred their sticks from playing live, so they got to go and buy new sticks every show. That's, you know, like 10 bucks. So, you know, before we even walk in the door at a venue, we probably already spent 50 bucks between, you know, strings, sticks, and uh, gas. So like so like whenever someone asks us to play a show, it's kind of like you know we knew we weren't going to make enough money to kind of break even. But most of the times, it, it was more was it worth us? For, was it worth it for us to do it? Like was the opportunity worth it? Right, right. Yeah, because I would imagine that you would still have to do some of that, like the quote unquote paying your dues type thing. But I don't. I wouldn't imagine that you would want to do that all the time. That's and that's what yeah and out here that's what you had to do. There was no music scene in the in the Chicago suburbs at all, really. You know there was dreams of getting older and getting bigger as, as a band, so you could play down in, you know in bigger venues like down in the city and all that. But we had no following in the city yet, so it's like how do you get a following in the city without playing the city? It's a uh, it's uh it's tough. It really is. Like I said, it's it's going to be a recurring theme. You do it because you love it. Right now, what was the name of this band again? This band, real official band, once again, we are a trio, uh, and this one is called Downfall. Downfall, Downfall, Downfall. A lot of heavy metal music, kind of a mix between original songs and covers that we did. Um, and covers, we did like everything from the from the heavy metal spectrum, you know, Pantera, Korn, Machine Head, bands like that, just Tool, everything like that. Nice, nice. Now, Downfall is a, is a great metal name for a band i think um and you brought up something there you mentioned corn now you were a pretty big corn fan right yeah so what happened was you know the primus thing was awesome i, I really enjoyed it because i kind of like i got in my head that i wanted to be a virtuoso like i wanted to be a star on the bass guitar uh-huh. but like trying to like play primus songs with other people no one knows how to play them like the guitar players don't know the guitar parts because it's a lot of like weird squeaky noises that their guitarist makes and the drummer is pretty high level and you know and you know my 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 backbone is I'm, I'm a heavy metal guy i really like heavy metal so when corn came out i'm like what is this like the first time i saw him i saw him on, on an mtv show called super rock and i saw that show because primus was the host for that night and I, i'm watching this band and like the way they look and like with the adidas and the hair and the dreadlocks and the music i'm like what is this at first i was really turned off by them but for some reason i bought their cd and then three months later i came back to the cd i'm like oh got it their bass gu guitarist sounds so different than everyone else but he's loud in the mix and he's clear in the mix and you know he's got a way of cutting through the guitars and you can actually hear them and it's also heavy metal so yeah, you know, from that point on, very influenced influenced by Corn, and all said and done, Corn's probably like that's my band from high school. That's that's the band that I just I glommed onto the most. I wore all their T-shirts. I saw them live, I think, eight times over the course of their first three albums. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. And you said you so you got all the T-shirts and everything like that. See, for me, it was Backstreet Boys. So oh, you know, oh really? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but funny nonetheless um at, the, at so, the same time too it's you know like hip-hop became like a thing that we really got into cypress hill that was another band that that like my entire ba band that listened to cypress hill and we would do like heavy metal versions of cypress hill songs like we used to play insane in the brain live oh really nice yeah that, that they used to always go over huge with the crowd so i'd imagine you guys you guys probably like because i think 
Ice Cube did some like hard rock stuff during that time, didn't he? He did stuff with Corn um, on his War and Punishment albums. Yeah, uh, and that so that was like late nineties, like ninety ninety eight, I think. Yeah. So Corn had been out for about three or four years at that point. Yeah, that that was after their third album because Ice Cube came in and worked on the Corn's third album on one of the songs, and then they went and worked on his album after that. And then that was the years they were, they were doing the Family Values tours, and so I, I saw Ice Cube play with Corn. Oh man, so so that's a blast from the, from the past, right there. You said the Family Values tours. Yeah. Wow. So I, I went to the first Family Family Values tour, and that was opening act was Orgy, which they were signed to Corn's label, never really took off. Uh, then it was Limp Bizkit, Rammstein, Ice Cube, and Corn. Good show. Really good show. That's a hell of a lineup, man. Especially mid-90s, mid to late 90s. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Family Values, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Family Values is like pre-Lollapalooza? Uh, no, Lollapalooza was early 90s. That started oh, Okay. Okay. Very well. So they don't do the Family Values tours no more. I know that. No, but they went for several several years, and then and then like, there were several years where Corn wasn't even on the tours, but they were still doing them. But uh, but yeah, those those went on for several years. I think I went to the first two years of them. Okay. So so what was that like though? Because because um, I know you, and you know, it fast forwards a little bit, but it's again talking about your musical uh, knowledge and the fact that you listen to so many things. Like, was that really, like, was that the first time you had ever seen a rapper live when you saw Ice Cube? Hmm. I don't, hmm. No, because, like, I, I went to, like, like the, the summer music festivals were always really big. Uh, so, like, like the local radio stations would, would used to have them, like, Q101 would have them. And I saw, and so I've, by, by this time, I think I've already seen, like, Cypress Hill, like, two or three times. I saw Snoop Dogg once. I've seen Ice Cube. Uh, who else have I seen? So I don't know if I've ever been to like a, like just a hip hop show where it's just like, like a hip hop group, but I've definitely seen a lot of hip hop groups, a part of, um, uh, like the big festivals basically. So when you've seen Lil Jon, cause I know you've seen him, the greatest rapper in your opinion of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I got excited for a second. I no, actually, I saw I saw Little John spin. I saw him do a DJ set on New Year's Eve. Oh, really? I I know. I have not gotten to see him live yet. Wow. I, I haven't I haven't seen seen him spit live. You know, so that that's still on the to do list. That's a uh, yeah. That's that's bucket list material for you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so going back to the band, you're. Uh, you guys, you win the battle of the bands. You're you're consistent, but you're struggling to. By the way, backtracking. So at that battle of the bands, uh, we were all, we were kind of looking to network and meet up with other bands. There was another band there that we thought was they were okay, but they were pretty blah. Uh, but then we kind of like we exchanged numbers, but kind of lost track of one another. We never really talked to them again. A few years later, I, I got MTV on, and I'm I'm looking at MTV. I'm like, oh my god those are those kids from that band. So part of that, that big battle of the band that we played in was Chevelle. 
And uh, Chevelle went on to have a pretty darn good music career uh, after that show. They, they, I could tell they changed a lot since that show, and they got a lot better. I'd send the pain below, much like Wow. So what was that like for you seeing that? Was there, were you drinking the Haterade or were you happy for him? Uh, I was a little, so, so the downfall thing we went, it went for a couple, couple, maybe a year, two years, something like that. And that's pretty decent for a band from, from based on what you told me previously. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but basically what happened was the guitar player in that, in our band, he was like my musical soulmate. We wrote really good music together, and we clicked, and we, we had the same ideas. We wanted the same sound. We, we wanted to move in the same direction. He was your hetero life mate? He, so in, in, ter- in terms of music, he was my heterosexual life mate, absolutely. We just we clicked together so well. I've never met anyone I've clicked with so well uh, since then, ever. So it was great, and then after we did this for a little while, you know, he started doing more and more, uh, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> what's the word? He was getting more and more recreational with his activities. And, uh, <laughs> that's so G rated. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, I don't want to throw the guy under the bus. Uh, so, you know, he's getting more and more recreational. He's kind of losing interest and he's listening to more and more fish, uh, and like Grateful Dead and stuff like that. And he decides oh, no. that he's going to stop doing heavy metal and kind of move on to this next phase of music. And, that was it. Like, we were done. And I'm like, oh, I lost my guitar player. He went full hippie on you. He went full hippie on me. And, I'm, and so when I saw that thing with Chevelle, I'm like, oh, man, if I didn't lose uh, my guitar player, things could be like, like them. We could be in that spot. Ouch. So it's more reflect. When you see that, it, it's more of like a reflective, like what may have been rather than like being envious or, or anything like that. Yeah, and, and and I gotta say too that 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 first album that they came out with that, that first national album I liked it like like the songs I was hearing on MTV and on the radio I'm like these are good songs so no I didn't have any hostility towards them at all I'm just like hmm I want that nice I definitely understand that um so so you and the uh, you and the the guitar player you guys made sweet lovely music together until he uh he discovered um recreational activities on a more consistent basis and he went into hippy dippy land and it kind of the band kind of dissolved at that point yeah it, it did so then i, I i'm kind of you know and i and i honest actually one of the other things I want to talk about is, you know, finally being in a band and like having a rehearsal spot where we're rehearsing together every week and then playing shows. This is finally in like the time of my life where I'm hanging out with chicks. And it's kind of like when you're in a band, there's more chicks that, that are more, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll call them chicks. There's more chicks in your life. Like they, they'll hang out with you at your rehearsal space because like, it's like you have a space that's your own that like adults do not go into. 
Mm-hmm. And usually the, the adults don't even want to be in the house when you're rehearsing. So like women would just come and, or I guess at the time you call them girls, girls would just come over and hang out with us. And then whenever we played shows, like whenever like people would see us play live, it's not like you're a rock star, but for some reason, if you're in a good band, you're more interesting. So, you know, I would, I would go and like, you know, there'd be conversations where you'd walk into a conversation and then all of a sudden you become the center of the conversation and be talking to everyone. So, uh, you know, so when it came to like relationship category, I could see how bands can be helpful. And I'll say most of the time that I'm, I've ever been in a band, I'm usually dating someone because of the band. So, so, okay. So this is like the, the gushy shit that I've been waiting for. <laughs> But it it sounds to me, though, like the way you described it is it's not like what you see on TV because you've explained to me before that's like major rock stars. And and, and this is more of like an admiration for the music and just hanging out and being friends. Yeah, it's it's, it's like that. And then you got to think from our point of view, too. You know, we're not looking – I mean, we're not like, yeah, we want to be like rock stars and we want to start doing drugs and, you know, having orgies in hotel rooms. It was more like, oh, I, I like this chick. This, she's gorgeous. She's fun to hang out with. She's cool. I would like to date her. That's, that's the way we think. And that's the way most, you know, guys in local bands, that, that's, that's kind of the thought process. And it just seems like women are more interested in you when you're in that position, like in a good band. Interesting. It's an interesting perspective on uh, on the relationships when you break it down like like that. That it's you know it's more of it's it's just an av- another avenue, if you will. And to your point, you're interesting because or not interesting because, but you're m- maybe more interesting to that specific person because of the fact that you're in the band. Yeah, because I, I I'm up on stage and they sit there and they watch me up on stage and there's there's something there, I guess. Very cool. They're mesmerized by your luscious bass playing fingers without the pick. Exactly. Bass players use their fingers. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and, and you know, you know, the funny thing too is that like like historically the joke is bass players and bands do not do well with women. That's always like the stereotype. Like like the onion writes articles about this every couple of years and they're usually pretty funny. I never really experienced that though. And that was part two of Derek Joins a Band. So we did it. We, we got completely through my high school years. Uh, now, well, there's still a lot of story left. A lot of stories. So I hope everyone enjoyed it, and I hope everyone uh, comes back to listen to part three. I'll talk to everyone later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. We have no idea what we'll talk about next time, but I'm sure we'll have a good time doing it. Our email address is thecommutehome at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, drive safe, everybody.